Welcome to episode 106 of Texting, where myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts like to talk about our startups and whatever else comes up. Hey, Jason, how you doing? What kind of intro is that? <laughs> hey, why not mix it up every once in a while? <laughs> All right. So I'm still sick. That's awful. We have, I mean, we have to sit through that for another show. At least. I've been sick now for a week and a half. Or this oh, cold is It's not going away. And uh, I... I woke up in the, at like one thirty in the morning in a coughing fit, and um, so I just stayed up, just sort of surfing the web, reading everything on Hacker News and Reddit, <laughs> and because I couldn't, I couldn't fall asleep because of the coughing. And finally, at four, I gave in to taking some Nyquil, which I had planned not to do because I'd been taking it every night for like since I first got the cold. And as a result, I'm all still kind of like jittery. You know, when you take Nyquil, you get all jittery. And I have never taken that stuff before. I don't even know what it is. I, well, it has an antihistamine in it, which means that it'll it causes drows it causes drrowsiness. So you're not supposed to take it during the daytime. That's why it's called Nyquil, not Dayquil. Okay, Dayquil so you're not going to be on top of your game this show. I'm just jittery, so <laughs> like a little, uh, oof, you know, kind of coming out of drowsiness. So, well, speaking of uh, health issues, how we, I, I want to hear an update on the Justin you know, health situation. Cause you had a, <laughs> you had a toothache that was causing you severe pain for months on end where you're taking what? 2,400 milligrams of ibuprofen on a daily basis. Okay. The beauty of texting ladies and gentlemen, where we talk about tech and also other. Three. So, um, well, as, as uh, regular listeners of the show will know, I went in for, um, a root canal and the, um, the guy who was giving me the root canal broke a piece of his, uh, uh, the, the file that he was using to, clean out the, the roots and it got stuck in my tooth and it was there for about two months and recently I went in for surgery to get it removed and it's removed and uh, yeah uh, now I don't have to take uh, 2,400 milligrams of ibuprofen every day and that's um, great life is good you feel you feel is it, are you 100% over it or is there still is there any residual problems I I am I think there is Tiny residual problems, just in the sense that it's a little bit sore, as it would be from a normal root canal, right? Okay. But apart from that, I think that I'm on the way to good health. Well, that's good. That's so, good to hear. Look it up. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Well, oh yeah, because every time I talked to you, you were basically complaining about how you couldn't think and you couldn't co- you couldn't work very well because you were in so much pain, and then you, you didn't even want to drive because of that ibuprofen you felt was making you dizzy. Yeah. Remember, I'm really, I'm, listen, Jason, I'm really touched at your concern about this, but I do think we should we should move on to uh, more <laughs> relevant, relevant stuff. So the first thing I wanted to bring up was um, a shout out. You know that we, although we haven't been mentioning donations for a while, someone did give us a donation of $10 and I'm, I'm very, very happy about that. Thank you very much. So a shout out goes to Stuart Robinson who gave us $10. Thank you very much. That was yeah, awesome. we we need to get back on the donation drive stuff because we it, it, we had it working for a couple months and then mm-hmm. we just and then you shut down Indiegogo or it I guess it expired and then you did you didn't set up another account and we didn't really talk about it since. Yeah, so then what I did was just because you were um, going on at me about it, I set up a I set up a page just on our website pointing directly to um, 
to, uh, what are they called? PayPal. Yeah. Right. So basically that's set up now. So anyone can go to techsinglive.com forward slash donate and shove some money our way. Um, if you go to the donate page, you'll see the different types of plans that we offer. You can be an executive producer. An executive producer is $100? Uh, I can't remember. No, I don't, think, I don't think it's that much. It's 50 bucks. Oh, no. Grand patrons, 100. Yeah, grand patrons, 100. Yeah. Right. And we need to get, we need to upgrade the site is what we need to do next. Yeah. That's, That's right. our next big push. Because but we you know what audio. we need even more than that? I think, I think even more than donations, we need people to blog about us and to uh, review us on iTunes. I think we need both. Yeah. I think both would work. All right. I don't think it's an either or. So please help us out. Write us, write, write some posts, give us some tweets. But this is something else that I don't like to dwell on too much. After, after listening to um, a few more episodes no. of No Agenda recently. Right, because they go on and on and they on They just go it. on and on about it. It sucks. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, one thing I want to say too, just to, in sort of the bookkeeping and the, and the subject of bookkeeping, we, we, we fell a little behind on doing shows this last week and a half or so. We've been doing one a week as opposed to our normal two. Right. Which is partially my fault because I, um, I fell behind in inviting guests. Um, I sent out a couple invites that I never got any responses for, and I wasn't more aggressive in sending out you know, more invites. And um, also, I think it was a combination of us on the weekends. You had, uh, you, you had some stuff going on, and I had some stuff going on, and we just were like, well, let's just you know, push it off. But- well, it's funny. Since, the, um, since getting back into Plugio, my time has been... Um really taken up recently. So I've, uh, you know, when, when there's been opportunities to not do a show, I've kind of treat, treated it as kind of useful to get a lot more work done, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, I know. That's kind so, of which isn't good, right? I mean, because we fall off our game and we, and we lose momentum. So I, I'm yeah. going to have to push you to make sure that whether you want to do one or not, that we do it. Um, of course, right. I have to make sure I invite the guests. So, um, well, as we discussed, you're good at, you're good at doing the, the guests and driving the, the kind of output. And I'm good at doing all the, I guess the back end stuff, the editing and moving over to SoundCloud and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's one one topic on that. There um we got we got an email from one of our listeners. Um uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's uh you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna Skype the name to you and you can okay. pronounce it. Because you're the official name pronouncer of the show. How do you pronounce that name? Akshat Chowdhury. So he has a he has a new startup that automatically backs up a WordPress site. Oh yeah called blog vault it said blogvault.net, mm-hmm. and he emailed me about uh, asking us to review it and i i said oh yeah yeah we'll do it we'll get around to it but i that was like two weeks ago and then i sent him another email saying hey man i'm sorry we've just been busy haven't gotten around to it but the reality is i actually am not the wordpress guy you're the wordpress guy so i'm not the guy to really do it but um i'm just asking you a question i mean what do you think about the that as a service the idea i mean how compelling is that to someone who has a few wordpress sites well, this is this is interesting. Um, I mean, sometimes someone will come up with an idea and and put it out there, and a certain you know one group will love it and really want it and see huge value in it, and another group will just be like, mm, I don't you know doesn't do much for me. Um, so that's I'm I'm in the second group about this, but but that doesn't mean that it's a bad idea. Um, but once again, this kind of goes back into the territory of uh, what Amy Hoy is talking about in the sense of find an audience, not an idea. So it would be really interesting to, if, if um, he could find that audience and s- see what they think of it. Yeah. So they say they back up everything. He says, we back up every aspect of your blog, including database, files, themes, images, comments, posts, and plugins. So, I mean, I'll put it this way. There, there is actually one point where 
when I'm working with WordPress where I kind of maybe do want a service like this. And that's when, when WordPress, um, they basically auto push updates, right? So okay. you get an update to upgrade from 3.1 to 3.2. And there's this time when you have to click auto update and it does say, make sure you do a backup before you do, because if you don't do a backup, pretty much everything's going to be screwed. And that's right. where I'm like, oh, I can't be bothered to do a backup. I'm just going to take a risk here. And I always just take the risk and it always works, but yeah. the one time it doesn't, you're screwed, which is what you're always talking about in terms of version control systems, right? You're always yeah. using that one time, you're not going to, you know, have version control system offsite and you're going to be sorry. And I've always, you know, obviously been dragging my feet about that because I just find it to be kind of a pain, but, um, you know, that's, that's the, that's sort of the, uh, the concept of insurance, right? Yeah. Well, but it's $9 a month for the basic plan. I mean, at the end of the day, the pain that it solves me is maybe once a month I can log into um, PHP my admin and just download the WordPress, just export it. Mm-hmm. So would I would I spend nine bucks a month for that? I don't think so. Not me. Right. I mean, that's. Uh, I mean, I guess it's for for companies that have more more investment in it in the actual content or something. Yeah, like people pop, write uh, yeah. lots of blog posts. I mean, I don't know. I mean, because your blogging has kind of fallen off, right? You haven't done a whole lot of blogging. I've done more than you, I think. I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying I've done a lot. I did like five posts <laughs> and then I fell off the face of the earth. Um, I just got, you know, because I took on too many uh, client, too much client work, took on too many My projects. last one was Infinity Inbox. I was going to do the Man in a Wire blog, but actually got an email from Rob Walling um, asking if I'd like to, to do that and do a guest post on his blog, which I think I may take him up on, but it's probably going to take me a couple of weeks to write that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I saw that. Door. I saw that email because I came through to both of us. I think you should, obviously. I mean, yeah. he's got a big audience and uh, he's a cool guy. I think you should take him on it. But the, he, but some, one of our um, listeners, I'd have to look at the comment, but he he pointed out. He said, "Oh yeah, I think it was James," and he said that you know he liked he loved the idea, the metaphor, the man on a wire metaphor. But he he said most people can. You know, refer to it as gradual engagement. Yeah, the 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 thing about that is that to to my way of thinking, it's too much of a like a nebulous concept to to wrap your hat hat on to to hang your hat wrap on. Wrap your head around. <laughs> yeah, to wrap your head around. Right. Well, I I want something that will be really symbolic that you can say to someone, "Man on a wire," it's because it's kind of brings up the concept of wire, and also as as you're feeding the threads through, each time the thread is becoming larger and larger. I also want to show that. With every kind of engagement, there's more value and more kind of attachment to that person, more connection between you and them, right? right. So, so gradual engagement doesn't really show that aspect of of the growth of the relationship. I'm still not crazy about the um, the man on a wire as the as a phrase or as a, a term for it. I mean, because it doesn't. It, I, when you say man on a wire, it doesn't. I don't picture anything in my head. I, I, see, I picture a man standing on a wire. I don't picture someone pulling something from that starts out as smaller. I mean, you have to know the whole story. So I'm wondering if that's the best. Um, the I don't best know. Wait, that's name for it. I mean, I, we've always got some comments from our listeners who said that they loved it, which and you you were happy to point it out to me because I criticized it as saying I wasn't sure it was the greatest. <laughs> well, I would like to. I mean, uh, you know, uh, the the thing is, is I don't know how. That, what other name to call it? Because basically what it is, is it's like lots of pieces of thread attached together that gradually get larger and larger as you pull them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what you know what? Let me try it. I mean, you know what's kind of interesting, okay, about like remembering something that, you know, one of the, one of the tricks to remember um, for, for memorization is to attach a story to it. Yeah. Um, and the sillier and dumber 
and more uh, almost stranger the story is to connect these two concepts, the more it sticks in your head that you, know, you won't forget it. Um, and, and it's like, this is kind of like, I think of a stretch of a story, but because it's kind of a stretch and because you picture this guy up there and you're like, I don't know, why, why is he using this whole story to, to explain a, a, what is sort of a, a relatively simple concept that may cause people to, may cause it to work? actually well but it, it i mean the other thing is is it does kind of make sense in the sense of it's man on a wire and the whole concept is it's a wire <laughs> i mean the concept is it's a wire that's getting stronger and stronger a connection between you and them that's getting stronger and stronger so it's basically if you yeah think but, the, of but them the name as, of it they the are name... the man on the wire and you're handing them the wire yeah but you're the uh, the, but the, the name is the guy standing on a wire the name of it doesn't describe what actually happens that's why i think it's that's why i find it not uh, i'm not crazy about the name but um i don't know maybe this whole uh our, our disagreement on the on this is it will make it work because some people it'll just it, it'll they'll go why is he calling it that but because of, of that frustration it'll make them it'll cause them to remember it okay but um okay i got i got a couple things for you actually so you you uh did you get a number one did you have a number one submission to hacker news did you actually hit number one or not i didn't i didn't i didn't didn't ring ring the bell bell. i didn't ring the bell i didn't pin it it sucked well i I got 61 61 points and it got up to like number two that's interesting. That six, it got up to number two and only got 61. I mean, that's so, so it barely got to number two and then it started to fall quickly, I yeah, guess. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. So uh-huh. um, I was talking to a colleague and we were just talking about how much Skype, the Skype 5 sucked. And just on the, the Mac? In, the interface, yeah, on a Mac, yeah. And um, so I did a quick little bit of Googling about it and saw in the Skype forums that uh, since I think um, it was like maybe October last year when they were, when they were building the Alpha there was a growing thread of people just saying how much they hated Skype 5 for Mac because they'd released the app, they'd released the beta for people to test. And so many, like 160 people had said, wow, this is just really, really bad. It's, it's not Mac-like. It's just really, it takes up so much screen real estate. You can't get it down to a small kind of instant message thing. There's, like, there's no way to, to change the window so that it's just a small size. It's always going to take up half your screen. And um, Skype hadn't really responded or paid any attention. So I just thought, oh, that's interesting. So I posted that on Hacker News and um, just uh, basically a link to that thread. And so here's, and one thing that's interesting, so you email me like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit, hit number one, but I'm not, I'm not going to get anything out of it. And I thought, well, why, why wouldn't you just write a, like a two-paragraph, I mean, you like writing short things anyway, right? Just a one or two-paragraph summary of the situation and your thoughts on it, as so many people do, and then have a link to the discussion if people want to follow up and read it. That is actually a good point. Why didn't I? I don't it know. It was like a waste because I'm like, if, uh, all those thousands of people would have come through justinvincent.com and, and, and taken a look at whatever you're working on and doing. I, I thought it was kind of a wasted opportunity. But Yeah, um, no, you're right. Thanks for making me feel really bad. Good. You, I'm glad you feel bad because yeah. this will be just a learning opportunity for you. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was a missed opportunity. Oh, well. Hey, so um, how, are, you, are you downgrading from the Skype uh, the the Skype file. I didn't. I didn't Skype even. Phone? I didn't even upgrade it to it. I didn't even check it out yet. Oh, but. so you don't have personally have a, a complaint yet because you haven't tried it. You just. What were you thinking of? Well, of? you know what. I, I had. I had that version on on uh, Windows, right? Oh, the beta five beta. Uh, well, I had the the version where they'd kind of merged it all together with the big window, and on Windows, there's a there's a like a menu option where you can kind of decouple it, so you can go back to the small version. Well, that, there was when I last tried it, which was like a year ago. So I don't know whether that was five on Windows. 
But uh, I would have thought they'd have done the same thing for Mac, and I was kind of assuming that they were. But then when I was speaking to my colleague, he was saying, no, it, you, you can't. You just have to have this thing that takes up half the screen. What you about can't. on the Mac? Is it the same way? Yeah, no, on, on the Mac is what I'm talking about. Where you oh, have then to, I'm not yeah. going to upgrade then. Yeah. I don't, really I don't know. You know, and I was working with uh, Curtis over at, uh, he, he's um, the, um, I don't know what his title is, but he's like the lead developer over at Uber. Right. And, you know, and I've been doing contract work for them. And uh, we ha- we're having a hell of a time. We can't uh, share the screen and do video chat at the same time, I don't think. I think that causes it to crash every time. Hmm. Or screen sharing is crashing. It may, that may even crash it by itself. But, um, and he, he was using the new Skype five and it was funny because for, for a while he couldn't figure out how to share the screen. I kept, cause we're trying to work on some stuff. I'm like, well, dude, just share the screen. He's like, I don't know. You can't do it. Skype five. I'm like, what? Of course you, how, why would they remove that? And he, he, it was like, I guess they changed the interface so much that it was, it took him a while to figure out where the hell it was. So I, I think the UI change has got a, a lot of people pretty. It's weird. Yeah. And there was, there was a lot of discussion about it on, on hack news and, um, like the, the the one that got the the biggest um, attention, like the most number of points, was the first person who posted and said, "Every time a company you know releases something new like this, you'll always get lots of people whining about it, right?" So like when Facebook releases something new, and you know w- why should companies stop progress because of all the people whining about it? And it's interesting because um, the truth is, I don't, I don't think this is just people whining, but I mean, I think it really is people finding it very difficult to use, you know? Like, well, the, the numbers they suggested were the number, like on Facebook, it, the, the number of people that were complaining about things at different times are like hundreds of thousands and then millions, whereas, you know, it was like, a, you know, 37 or 120 complaints for Skype. Well, for Skype, well, th- put it this way, right? There was a, a Facebook group that had been started about this um, and there was 375 members. And then there was 170, 160 people who'd signed up to um, Skype Forum about this, right? Okay. So with, with, with Facebook, it's like built-in social networking. I mean, what could be easier to complain? Like you've, you're complaining on, this, on the system itself, which makes it really easy to network with people and connect with friends. Whereas if you're right. going to complain about Skype, you've actually got to Google it, you know, find a place to complain about it, register with the forum, <laughs> sign up. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's not, a, it's not a very accurate metric for the, no. the percentage of your users that are unhappy. Yeah, well, I mean, the, there's, there's kind of a, um, I guess there's a balance between overreacting to a, a small minority of people who are unhappy and underreacting to valid complaints from your user base. Yeah. Right? So it's like, you, you you can fail on either side. I mean, if you just ignore everybody and say, oh, they don't know what they want. I know what they want. I am no, all-knowing. You know, I am the visionary. Yeah, okay, well, you better have a damn good compass, you know, to do that because you could end up just driving this thing off the side of a cliff. Um, but if you overreact to every single um, complainer, that that doesn't work either. So I guess you kind of have to hit some kind of a balance where you communicate with your... Um, with the complainers to some degree, try and get to the bottom of what they're unhappy about and take a hard look at it and figure out if that's actually an issue or not. But I guess Skype, they were just not engaging people at all on this topic. Okay, well, let me ask you a question. Let's say you, let's say, uh, you don't upgrade, right? And let's mm-hmm. say a year goes by and Skype never backed down on this issue. From this point forward, Skype is going to be a system that takes up half your screen whenever you use it. So we're now two versions away. Let's say we get to Skype version 7. Would you stick with Skype 2.8 or would you go up to Skype 7? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it really depends on um, 
what Skype seven is like. I mean, I don't, ha- I don't have to use the latest thing, especially if it doesn't really add anything. Right. I mean, what, what is, what do you get more out of Skype five? What's the big, I, I, I don't even know, but, but one thing I do know is, is how important it is for me that, that the tools that I use fit into my workflow. And if, if something's going to just completely take over my screen, it's going to, that's going to upset the workflow basically. Are there, are there any Skype competitors? I was thinking about this the other day, actually, I think maybe when, after I read that, after I read your, your submission was, I mean, what are, what are, who, who are Skype's competitors? It's interesting. It's the perfect, uh, it's the perfect market for disruption theory. <laughs> Something that's worse, but mm. always getting better. Yeah. I mean, cause they pretty much have, they almost have a monopoly on this, don't they? I mean, I guess you can, if you're, if you have a Gmail account, you can use v- video chat to do it, but you can't do screen, you can't do screen sharing and you can't do automatic files. So you can't send files to people and you can't do, I don't know. Can you do conference calls on, in Gmail? I don't know. I, I mean, th- look, there's, there's VoIP. I mean, it, it, it depends on what, what you're asking me. Are you asking me about the VoIP aspect? Or are you asking me about the VoIP combined with the IM combined with the file sharing? Basically the whole, the whole aspect of Skype. Is that what I think that's about? what makes it so powerful is that, you know, you have the IM and you can have the video chat and those are the two biggest things. And I think sending files is, is kind of, it's, it's important. It, it's helpful. Maybe it's not killer, but then screen sharing is another really useful feature I found. I don't know if that's is widely used, um, but I'm thinking if, you know, you could maybe start out with something like this, but that's um, that has just a video and the IM and then move into the other things. I'm just thinking that if you, um, I mean, the problem is that of course Skype is free. I actually think the screen sharing is the, is the kill, is the kind of killer thing. I mean, that's what I've found it to be so useful for screen sharing and, and voice at the same time. Well, I think it's useful. I just don't know if people, as many people I find, like I said, I, I, like I, I meant to point out is that I find it probably to be more useful than video chat, although I'm starting to do video chat more. Um, but people would pay for voice and screen sharing. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, if, if you were going to, if you were going to go into that market, that would be a good thing to go for because it's what business people need. But would they pay for it if, if Skype is free? And Skype is already good. It's just a user interface that some people have a beef with. I guess they would pay for, I guess they would if they could, if it was like a small company and they could get the features that they wanted through talking to the people in the company and that the interface on Skype remained sucky. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people pay for Campfire, which is 37 signals sort of, they have a sort of, pseudo real-time chat and like it polls and you can share files oh yeah essentially you can you can, they have like a file repository like you can upload a file and it might have some very rudimentary versioning for the files yeah that's a good point yeah but and people pay for that um but that's just text chat isn't it and it's like just like you can create and you create like a group yeah. yeah and you have things like yammer which is kind of like twitter for groups and mm-hmm. businesses use that which is i think pretty useful i used it for a short while um in one situation and i thought it was pretty cool. And I also thought it'd be easy to compete with because it wouldn't be that hard to build a Yammer-like company. I think there are companies that are doing it, but I'm wondering if you could take some of the Yammer, uh, some of the Yammer approach, which is a sort of like a group uh, Twitter-like interface with sort of an IM approach like Campfire. And then you could then grow into doing like, especially if you made a, uh, a downloadable piece of software like Skype that you could do the screen sharing and video stuff as well. All right, I've got a, a different subject to move on to. Have you ready? Yeah, let's hear it. So um, I got asked uh, a question by someone via 
you know the collection that I made of of, of uh, texting that was about launching a web startup. You 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 made a list of like ten or twelve like must listen to episodes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was like you called a seminar or something, right? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. How to how to start a successful uh, bootstrap web app. Okay. So basically, she emailed me this lady, and um, her name is Melissa Bugai, and she's got a question to ask. And okay. I thought we should answer it on the show because I wanted to kind of brainstorm it because I didn't have a, a like a succinct answer to send back in the email. And I thought it'd be good if we could brainstorm it on the show. And one thing I want to say before we start that, I, I read there's an article on brainstorming. It says that brainstorming, when people talk about like, like let's get together and share ideas. Most uh, brain, brainstorming sessions don't work nearly as well than if you have people go off separately, come up with a list of ideas and then come together. Then if you have people sit, in a group sit together and like all oh, this just throw ideas out because so one person starts dominating the idea submission or people are afraid they'd get their ideas shut down. So we're just about to waste our time. Yeah, pretty much. No, <laughs> I, I just think maybe maybe that's not the same when you have two people in a conversation, but if you have people in a group, I said that was it. Just reminded me of that sort of factoid, and I thought that was kind of interesting. So go on, let's brainstorm. Okay, so she said you just posted a great collection of audio streams about launching a web startup. This is something near and dear to my heart. What I don't know is outside of the cost of development for the product itself, what is the greatest cost for a web startup? For instance, three guys get together for a weekend hack fest and create a cool product. What expenses are they going to need to cover next? Finance tracking help from a CPA? Uh, some sort of terms of service or privacy policy assistance from a lawyer? Marketing effort after beta testers give it the thumbs up? You know, if you, if you talk to people in this, you know, from, this, from the lean startup movement, they'll, they'll say you're doing it backwards, which is that you're assuming there's a market need before, um, before, before, you know, without... You're assuming a market need and building it without validating whether there's a market need and there's actually people willing to put money down on the table. Now that said, obviously, you know, I, I, I've never done it the, the way I'm suggesting you do it, which is validate an idea before you start on it. I mean, I just, I knew for myself that there was going to be, a, there's a need for App Ignite. I don't think, to me, you don't really have to validate it. It was just a question of how, if you can execute it well enough that people see it as a solution to the problem. Yeah. You built Plugio first, you know, because as developers, a lot of times you just want to build something, right? It's like you get it in your head and you're like, I'm, you convince yourself that people want it, but also you just want to build it, right? You really just want to build it. And if it's just you working on it, then you can do that. You know, if you get multiple people in on it, obviously then it's riskier to start going down that path. But anyway, yeah, I mean, what's the, what are the costs? I mean, it sounds, it sounds like to me, Melissa is coming from a more professionalized corporate environment and asking this question rather than from a bootstrapping perspective. Well, bootstrapping perspective is kind of like, you know, you got to get gorilla about it. You know, it's like yeah. gorilla tactics, which is that you don't, you don't really pay for all this stuff. You don't do everything professionally. You do things kind of half-assed. You do, you, you do marketing without paying for it. You don't pay for marketing. You write really good blog posts that bring in traffic that are targeted at the kind of market that might use your product. You don't go and pay um, some lawyer to draft a terms of service stuff. You go and you find five or so established companies that have terms of services, terms of service agreements that are similar to what you want. And you look at those and you draft your own based on what you've seen. And you don't send some, you don't send someone with an iPad onto the streets to find beta testers. What you do is you create the product, you put it in the app store and you start selling it. Basically your, your, your proof of concept is in the creation and the release. The well, release use the of power it. of the web. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's so linear when, and it's so limited to, you know, hitting the street and going out and talking to people. I mean, you can do that. And that, I mean, I'm not saying don't do that if, you, if someone has the desire and sort of personality to do that and they just want to go someplace and show it off. I mean, maybe that could work if you went and talked to, you're able to get to 10 or 20 people to give you personal, you know, feedback. That's, that's fine. 
but use the power of the web. I mean, go and submit, establish relationships with some blogs that are in that space and try and get them to at least take a look at your idea. I mean, you know, we've talked to people who've done this. I mean, Inde Nero, Jessica Ma, I mean, that's what she did. And, you know, that's what most of these companies are able to do. The idea of paying for a lawyer for terms of service and a privacy policy at this stage is kind of, well, to me, it just doesn't make sense. It's just, you, I mean, you, it's you, like you, you, can, you can just copy and paste terms of service and privacy policy from, from any site and... Like, let, I mean, if you're going to be legally challenged, I mean, let, let's say it's... I don't you don't know, have some... anything to lose at this point. You yeah, know, you don't, exactly. You're not, you don't have... You're not going to get sued. You're, you're, you're a little rinky-dink startup that nobody cares about and is making little to no money. And little to no money could be as much as $100,000 a year to no money. Still has... You're still judgment-proof, right? No, but you don't have enough assets for anybody to worry about suing you. People sue companies like Facebook and Microsoft because they have assets. They have something worth taking. So... <clears throat> You know, and, and people who are very risk averse and and are more lawyerly in their thinking may think, oh no, no, Jason, you got it. That's a really good investment. But I don't know. Two no. people are going to go out and spend five thousand dollars on getting some terms of service stuff drafted for their little you know startup. You go out, you you, you know, just say you go out. Like I said, and like we said, you go out and you go. And if you're an intelligent person, you can go read. You know, the terms of service usually aren't that complicated. Go look at two or three and kind of come up with something that's sort of similar, cut and paste, and and that'll that'll be like a ninety percent solution. Finance tracking help from a CPA. Why, you, why would you need finance tracking help from a CPA? You haven't even made any sales yet. Oh. I mean... <laughs> yeah, you just put it on you QuickBooks. Need to be in, or... <laughs> you need to be in business. Yeah, put it on QuickBooks. Just, just track it on a notepad. As you say, Jason, this is all about an entirely guerrilla effort. Guerrilla marketing, guerrilla creation. Just the whole thing is just very, very... No, just low don't key. spend money on anything. <laughs> the, the only things that you would spend money on, I think, are um, you know getting a, a, a maybe a logo designed and maybe a go to ninety nine designs and allocate maybe a couple hundred dollars to get a logo designed and maybe you know three to five hundred dollars to get the site designed if you don't have a designer on staff and then that will be your eighty percent solution. You can come back and have a redesign in six months or a year if you make some sales. Track it, you know, set up a QuickBooks or some kind of rel- almost free account. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you don't spend thousands and thousands of dollars on any of this stuff. It's just not. Just going back to the legal thing, right? I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I've released a, an iPad game called Swarm. And um, once again, done it in this guerrilla way and just kind of built it myself, released it. And some, a legal issue has come up about that. And basically, it's that uh, a company um, has got the trademark for Swarm in the. Um, in the kind of video game space. Mm-hmm. So they've just basically sent me an email saying, well, they didn't even send me an email. They just contacted Apple and said, please take that off the app store because that basically breaks our copyright. Apple have taken it off the app store. Swarm, it's not a copyright, it's a trademark. Trademark, sorry. So um, Apple have taken it off the app store. It's no longer available and I have to change the name. End of yeah. story. Yeah, well, you, 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 one thing you might want to do for something like that is do a trademark search. Right. And um, you can go on Google and just type in trademark search and there's a number of services. It doesn't cost that much. And, you know, maybe I, I can't remember what it was, maybe $100 or $200 and you can do like an, a, a domestic or a um, international trademark search. And trademarks are, yeah, they're important, especially because if you're coming out with a name, you want to make sure that you're not going to be um, in conflict with a trademark that's also in your category. So Swarm... The swarm can be trademarked for like computer software, computer games, but someone could call um, something swarm and let's say it's a piece of hardware 
and it's not going to be a hard, um, a trademark violation, but yeah, it's not that expensive, but yeah, that's one of the few things you should do. Just like when you, before you come up with a name for your company and before you reserve a domain, you kind of search for the domain, is a domain available? <laughs> and you do, and before you actually settle, like this is going to be the name of my thing and I'm going to go incorporate as it just, you know, pay hundred dollars or whatever it is or $500 and do a I guess the point search. I'm trying to make is that from a startup perspective, I've, that is me encountering a worst case, a worst case scenario, legal issue. And the worst mm. case scenario is I just have to change the name. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's not that big a deal. I mean, you just don't have a whole lot of line. You're kind of, you don't have a whole lot of on the line. You're kind of judgment proof. You have to just get used to doing things with no, with little to no budget. And maybe at most, you spend a thousand dollars in aggregate on your trademark search, on getting your logo design, incorporating your company uh, online for like two hundred eighty bucks. You know, you in, in your hosting, you get all that in for like a thousand dollars. You cut and paste terms of service, privacy policy. You're done. I think that covers that. I've got another question which was asked on the blog, if you uh, don't mind going into that. No, go ahead. Okay, so um, Brad asks on the blog, he says, great show, guys. Uh, Justin, question for you. Do you use a service provider for your drip marketing pop-ups, etc.? So I do have an answer for that. And um, the answer is no, I rolled my own. And uh, it's, it's pretty easy to roll. Uh, I was thinking maybe we could talk through it, but I don't know whether that would be too techy. That'd be when, interesting, yeah. Well, we are a tech show. <laughs> okay. Well, so, so the first thing is, um, for, for my whole kind of website, I have one send mail function, which I kind of abstract. And so, I mean, typically people would use the PHP mail function. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, how, how do you do it? Well, I, yeah, I used to use like, for instance, when I, for Prezo, when I would send validation emails, yeah, I would just use the PHP mail function. And, you know, I think maybe 15% of them got caught in people's spam filters. And, uh, you know, but by the time I realized that was happening and uh, Prezo was, it was pretty clear Prezo wasn't going to be an ongoing concern. I never changed it. Now, the question is, is each, each part of your code base where you use that mail, did you have it wrap up, wrapped up in an abstraction function or did you just always use kind of the mail function when and where it was needed? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just number two quick and dirty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so what I do is I basically, uh, in a situation like this, I'll always have uh, like an abstracted function. So that what it means is that then my whole code base will use that abstracted function so that I can then change the guts of it real easy. So I used to use the PHP mail function, but then I swapped it over to Elastic Email. So basically right. Elastic Email, or you can use SendGrid or whatever, and that's great. So it's very, very little. But then the other thing... Yeah, for thing- people who under, don't understand, that's a software-as-a-service e- email-based service, right? Like it's a different... You basically make a REST call to their service through your function call, your mail function call, and they send the email on your behalf because they've spent a lot of time figuring out all the reasons why email gets bounced and doesn't get through spam filters. They've done all the, all the little tricks you need to do. And, and one last thing I was to point out, if you want to try and do it on your own and you don't want to use a service, um, I think Jeff Hatwood wrote a really good article that goes into like the four or five steps you really need to take on your, for configuring your mail server called, so you want to send an email in code, I think is what it's yeah. called. Read that. Okay. So that, send mail function which used to go to php now as jason says it do, it basically does a, a post to um, elastic email like a kind of an under the hood post just sending the, the the email parameters and then they send the email off right so my send my send mail function which is abstracted just used to accept three parameters which are basically the exact same as the php mail function uh, a two email address a subject and a message so in order to create the drip campaign, I just added one new parameter, which was basically a post app parameter, which accepts a timestamp. So it's basically just a numerical timestamp. Okay. So what happens now is 
if I'm just using that mail function normally, it just sends the sends the email instantly through Elastic Email. Whereas if I wanna if I wanna do something for a schedule campaign, I just basically add the fourth parameter, which is a timestamp, and then internally in the email function, it says, "Oh, I'm not supposed to send this right now. I'm I'm supposed to schedule this for whatever time was passed in." So then right. it just basically takes the takes the parameters that were sent into this, the mail function and dumps them into a table, like a scheduled email table, right? And basically just puts the timestamp in that table, right. right, right. So then then to basic. So what what will happen is when someone signs up for my drip campaign, I will just use that send mail function uh, five times in a row, and I'll basically just uh, schedule each of the drip messages. And the beauty, the reason why I've done the timestamp is because uh, PHP has this awesome function called string to time. So basically with string to time, you can do something such as plus one day, plus two days, plus three days, right? So I'll just, I'll just basically as the fourth parameter, send in string to time plus one day for the first message that I'm going to send out, plus two days for the second message I'm going to send out up to five days. And then that's it. That's, that's a drip, a five day drip campaign created. Yeah. And is it, has it working for you? Yeah, it's working real well. So then the other the other part of it is there's a cron script and that cron script basically just checks once a minute and it just looks into that table and sees if there's any messages that um, where the kind of timestamp's expired and where there's a little flag that says has been sent or not. And that's it. That's cool. Have you, are, you, you say, are you using Elastic Email now? Yeah, using Elastic Email. And those, those drip campaigns work very nice. And, uh, you know... Oh, because I want to ask you a question. Before you... Started using Elastic Email. Were you just using the mail function? Yeah. And how how what was your bounce rate? Um, it was pretty it was pretty good, but it's just it's just that I couldn't use the mail function when you know when you move to um, Rackspace Cloud or when you used move to Amazon Cloud, you can't use that PHP mail function anymore. Really? They don't have an SMT, SMTP server. Oh no, you... you you can use it, but or, but basically any servers that are on the like uh how how can I say this on the cloud, it will get flagged as spam if it comes from from the cloud. That's all and, there is to as it. As opposed to what using because you used before that you used the shared host. A shared host it wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Why do you think? What was the city? Um I don't know the I don't know the full reasons why. You didn't investigate that deeply. No. Interesting. Huh. But elastic email is really inexpensive, right? I mean it's a lot cheaper than SendGrid, I think. It's ridiculously cheap. What would you say? What were the numbers? Cheap. Do you have any idea? I've spent like I think it's point zero 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 one her email or something like that. It's, it's like, yeah. I mean, I spent 50, 50 bucks and uh, just, I mean, I've, I, it's been going, I've, I've sent quite a few email campaigns of, I don't know, like 20, 30,000, 40,000 emails and still on my first 50 bucks. Right. Right. Yeah. I think it's probably a pretty, pretty good investment. Yeah. I mean, there's always that difference between free and, and not, and uh, spending anything, $2. But if you're going to spend any money on it, Right, you're going to spend more than you know. You've allocated at least spending ten or twenty dollars, and it sounds like you know the Elastic Email is the the way to go. I mean, if you're going to be if you have, if you're like I have a seven dollar a month hosting account, I don't want to spend any money on anything. Then fine, send the mail, use the mail function, but just know that you know maybe ten to twenty percent of your emails are going to get bounced. Well, think about um, the it, the cost that it costs you for something like Mailchimp. I mean, it's it's a significant cost, right? What and is to- it? I don't even know what it is. Uh, I mean, it's going to it's going to be at least ten bucks a month, for example, right? Okay. Twenty bucks a month, and it's you. It's going to be harder to kind of have full control over what's going on. Whereas to build a little drip campaign like this, that's just like a couple of hours, you know, mm-hmm. a couple right. of hours to build that. Oh, one, one thing, one other thing I forgot to mention was that 
The great thing about having that kind of centralized send mail function is that you can wrap up every mail you send out with uh, the HTML with kind of like an unsubscribe link, like right. I have an, a global unsubscribe link. So whenever anyone gets any mail sent from Plugio, they can just click unsubscribe and it will take them to a page and it just kind of keys off the email address. Oh, so it handles that whole process for you. Yeah, which is kind of, it's an important thing that you need to have there. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So, um, where do you switch topics? Yeah, move on? you go. You go. So, uh, one thing was that you're taking off for New Orleans. That's today? right, yeah. Tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow. And you're going to be gone for a week? Yeah. So, we just let people know that there won't be a show probably for a week. Mm-hmm. At least is that the is that the plan? We're probably not going to do a show where you're gone, or we're going to try and do one. Uh, there is if, a possibility uh, that I'm I may be able to do a show on Saturday morning, but right, like a fifty fifty chance. Okay, well, okay, so we won't get anyone's hopes up, but we'll try. So, um, I got a couple interesting topics. Or well, there's just little things, I guess. There's a great article called. It was entitled "Anonymous to Security Firm Working with FBI." You've angered the hive. Did you? read that i saw i saw it but i didn't look at it okay so essentially anonymous is i mean i think the whole thing started with with the site 4chan and everyone's anonymous and sometimes referred to as anon or anonymous is like in the singular like it's just this big group of anonymous people and i they I, i think a lot of people from within that group did a distributed denial service attack on Maybe it was PayPal and Visa and MasterCard, different companies that drop the WikiLeaks um, uh, account, you know, because from pressure for the... Go- Sorry, incidentally, that's what was dri- drove me nuts about uh, No Agenda because they were complaining about how they'd received, how they'd lost so many donations because of this through PayPal. And, and they were like, why did we lose all that money? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess they're collateral damage. So uh, anonymous... Um, you know, so I, I mean, I, I supported what they did because I think what WikiLeaks is doing is, is important. I mean, I think that our government and a lot of these governments are way too secretive and a lot of corruption and a lot of really, um, I don't know, not good things going on that when there's no one really digging into it and finding out what's going on and bringing it to light, they continue and just get worse. And especially things with our foreign policy. So I think it only helps a democracy when these things are brought to light and, and, and not so much of us hidden behind, you know, um, classifications of secret and top secret and all that kind of stuff. So no agenda think the whole thing's a scam and it's managed misinformation and it's set up by the government. WikiLeaks. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think that, I think that, um, cause the WikiLeaks stuff were a bunch of uh, diplomatic cables, right? So it's not, top secret stuff that was leaked from the Pentagon or something or from CIA, right? I mean, this is stuff that diplomats are sending back and forth between diplomats. So it's going to be stuff that the diplomats talk about and is understood between them, but it may not, but it isn't top secret. So the stuff that comes out is, are things that are people are like, well, yeah, you know, so what else is new, right? I mean, everybody kind of knew most of that stuff. It just was not considered, you know, open information, it's embarrassing to the diplomats, right? Because they, they, they basically talk about what they really think of these other countries and, and these other dictators and these other diplomats and things like that, right? So, you know, some people who might think that it's a disinformation campaign run by the CIA or something will say, well, hey, they're just, they're leaking all this information that we already knew. It's just disinformation to throw us off, you know, to show that there's nothing really going on. But they're diplomatic cables. Right. That's my thought on it. You know, obviously, you know, I think it's just, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but that's what I think makes the most sense. <clears throat> so, 
anyway, I, I think generally what WikiLeaks does and, and, um, you know, in what whistleblowers do, whistleblowers do in general are, are only helpful because our, our, I think our country has become way too secretive. So anyway, I, 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 what Anonymous did to, to fight back, because I think it was Senator it was Joe Lieberman who made the call. He just, he just, it was just his office or staff office made the call to like uh, some of these companies. And I think it was Amazon and stuff to drop, um, I think to drop the hosting of WikiLeaks. Which is right? basically ridiculous. I mean, that is so stupid. I yeah. just can't believe that they that that that, that they would honor that. That oh, that Amazon would back down under pressure from yeah, a senator? like, like but pay, PayPal don't pound any money to WikiLeaks, like Amazon don't don't do the hosting. I mean, how could they possibly? And and yet, here's here's a strange thing: Amazon are actually selling WikiLeaks information in an ebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's I thought it was kind of lame that they backed down, but I can see from a company standpoint they they have something to lose and probably not a lot to gain. And the number of people that really care about supporting WikiLeaks and whistleblowing in general are probably in the minority. Most people don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. I mean, if you watch CNN or NBC or any of these shows, they spend all this time just um, being very freaked out about the existence of WikiLeaks, not actually talking about anything that was actually released by WikiLeaks. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's like when you go and you watch like these political shows during the cam- during you know the campaign season, during election season. And they just talk about like, well, who's going to vote for who and what district? Nobody talks about the issues. Mm. I mean, what, what, what are we even voting for? I mean, what does Party X think and what does Party Y think? And do either of them even make sense? No one well, even analyzes those things. It's just, you know, well, I think Party X has this group behind them. And well, do you think Party, Party Y is gaining momentum? And this is the same thing as like, our, it's, you know, the, um, the media is just, just talks about the horse race of everything and they don't actually talk about the substance of it. And so... Well, because it's boring. I mean, if you, re- if you read the stuff that WikiLeaks put out, it's just boring. It's like... No, it's not boring. I mean, it's, some of it's really important. I mean, in... in, in it's important, I mean, but boring. Well, I mean, you know, and boring in what way? I guess it depends. Uh, it depends who I mean, the audience is. Boring in the is. sense that there's 10,000 pages and that you're not going to go through it or boring the fact that, you know, from policy to you is boring. Like, I guess all of it, to me, anyway. Because you don't find foreign <laughs> policy very interesting. Not particularly, no. Right, okay. So, it's, it, but a lot of it is, is, is important. I mean, understanding what our government does, or what, any, what your, you know, people who live in other countries, what their government does, and, and, is, and, and how it treats other governments, and back-channel things are going on, it's important. And, uh, you know, you need, if, you know, we're theoretically a democracy, so we're supposed to be voting on what we think, and if we don't even know what's going on, or what people really are doing or thinking, then... We're not really much of a democracy. We're sort of a managed democracy. So it's important. Anyway, the point is <clears throat> anonymous in a sort of a – because they were being investigated by this. The FBI hired the security firm to, um, you know, to basically get information on who these people were, right, who, who anonymous is. And basically, they wanted to come down on them, right? They wanted to, to, to um, uh, you know, charge some of these people with some kind of uh, – um, some kind of a, a crime, right? So anonymous, some people anonymous. It was, I think, I think the, uh, I think the firm is called HB Gary. And what they did is they broke into the HB Gary servers, completely compromised their systems, got all the information on the CEO. Like I guess they got like three thousand emails or something, all his emails for like years. Put them up on the web and put them on torrent files. Put his social security number. I mean, they completely broke in and compromised the supposedly expert security firm and just demonstrated that they're incompetent. And then they went on and said, okay, they, they took all the WikiLeaks logs, which is what H.B. Gary had, had, had um, 
was hired to get. And they, and they went and sent them directly to the FBI and said, hey, well, you, buy, you can have these for free because, you know, they're just our ARC logs anyway. So basically trying to undermine or undercut the H.B. Uh, Gary's value add to the FBI. Right. Which I thought was hilarious um, <clears throat> because it just shows, you know, the, these, the security firm is just not you know, nearly as, you know, they're like, oh, we're experts in security and they can't even secure their own systems. I mean, well, give me a break. So, so the other thing that, um, that No Agenda was talking about this whole issue, that, that going back to the conspiracy point, they think that the whole point of this is it's a play to end net neutrality. So, so essentially when, when uh, uh, organizations like Anonymous do denial of service attacks on um, PayPal, it's essentially playing into the hands of the government or playing into the hands of the, um, what is it, the SEC? What, what, what are they called? Um, the guys who are basically trying to put, bring FCC. down the... FCC. FCC. To, well, FCC is, is the um, is department that's in charge of, um, of regulating things like the, um, the phone system and, or not the phone system, I think, but the, not the, but the uh, like the, the television, radio, and things like that. I think the FCC. And, and, the, and the question is how much authority do they have over the internet itself so so what do you think of that if i mean do, do you think that basically the kind of stuff that anonymous is doing makes it more likely that that uh the fcc are going to get more control and and basically the net won't be able to be quite as neutral as it was before well yeah i mean okay so that that always happens and that if there's one group that wants to regulate something right and whenever it can be sort of spun that the use of the of a particular freedom um, is uh, considered reckless and dangerous to the say the population at large, then they're going to use that opportunity to regulate it. So, for instance, when was it the Arizona congresswoman was shot? Right. Mm-hmm. That's when, you know, sort of gun control people start coming out of the woodwork saying, you know, see, see, we can't have these kind of weapons. And that's why you saw, you know, all of these um, people who are pro-gun come out there and sort of preemptively try and say, oh, this is, and they try and, um, you know, blame the, uh, the, the shooter and say he's like this left-wing guy, left-wing crazy nut. So they try to say, hey, he's, he, you know, they, they try and they move him away from like sort of the right wing pro gun group. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so, you know, you think anyway, people, are, there are always going to be groups that want to control things, right? People in power want more power. They want to control things because they want the world to work in a way that they like. And the people who want the government would like to have more control. A lot of these people in government, a lot of these senators and Congress people would like to be able to control the internet because it generally works against them because they have no, they can't manage it. Right. CNN and ABC and New York times, all these things, (laughs) excuse me. I'm sorry. Cut that out. Um, they, um, they're pretty much not very, they're not very good at doing investigative journalism more. They've kind of had their teeth taken out of them over the last, I don't know, 10 or 20 years. And so it's like Senator, it's like, People in the government don't have much to fear from the traditional corporate media that much, but the the web is the wild west, right? And there are all these sort of um, dissenting voices on the web, and if those could be sort of managed better or controlled better, or at least you know some cold water thrown on it, that would make people in power feel a little more comfortable because they're less challenged. So they're going to be that's going to get that's the reason why people in the government would want to control the web more. I mean, that's one reason. There are probably a lot of other reasons that people could come up with, but they will, groups will always take an opportunity for an event, to use an event um, like 
a denial service attack by WikiLeaks and say, see, we have to control it. There's these crazy people out there who are shutting down commerce and everyone's affected by it. And But do I think that WikiLeaks was this orchestrated disinformation campaign um, to play this in the hands? No, I don't think so. I think that's too complicated. I think people just, you know, opportunities will rise and people jump on it when they happen. Okay. All that's right, my, then. Well, so that was a good answer. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, I think it was funny. You said uh, you, you're, uh, you have a little tagline, a trailer on your iPhone emails to me. Oh, yeah. It's sent from my iPhone. Please forgive brevity and, and mistakes. Yeah. So I received an email uh, from Jason Kern one day that said that. And I kind of thought, oh, that's pretty good because whenever I send Whenever I send emails on the iPhone, I always make spelling mistakes and I always do keep it short. But it's kind of, I don't want to have to keep on saying, oh, sorry, you know, I'm I, not meaning to be rude here. Right. So I thought it would it'd be quite a good footer. Yeah. I find it sort of annoying. Now, why? Why is it annoying? It's kind of like, I'm trying to figure out how to express it, but it's like someone's being sort of, oh, you know, you go ahead and respond in full as you would, but I'm not going to say much, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm vesting less in this communication than you are, but I have my iPhone, so it's okay. Interesting. It's just, I just find it kind of annoying, kind of flippant, you know? So it's like, I almost feel like sending my trailer being sent from my, uh, from my Mac, sent from my iMac, expect mistakes and brevity. Cause I don't give a, f- <laughs> you know, I see. Okay, well, uh, so there's obviously, th- th- this is the kind of issue that you need to go and see a therapist about. Yeah, right. No, I'm just going to, I'm just going to respond the same way. If you say, you know, when people, when people send me these little, you know, one sentence misspelled thing is, oh, but just excuse it because I'm just going to send like a three word response. What you're kind of failing to recognize is that it's actually painful and difficult to type on an iPhone. Well, then don't type on an iPhone, communicate with me on the computer when you want, uh, when you want to have an actual conversation. Well, that's kind of strange because sometimes I will be nowhere near a computer. I'll be in the middle of Los Angeles. You'll send me an email looking for an urgent response. I'll need to send you a response. Should I just wait until I get home or should I send it from the iPhone? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess I, guess I would just say that I would, I, I guess you're right in the sense that I would, um, it's not fair, but I just find it, it just, it just find it sort of annoying. I don't know. I wonder if other people feel the same way. Okay, well, uh, so how about if, if I just sent you like two, two word answers and it didn't have that footer. How would you? What, yeah, what no, would you I wouldn't. Care. I mean, you know, because most of your answers are still like, yeah, you know, they're not two words, but they're 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 short, right? They're like short sentences, right? You know, that's fine. You know, I don't expect long emails. I hate long when people send me like three paragraph wall of text emails, right? You, most people don't do that unless they don't use the unless they don't use email very much. Like my mom sends me long ones, but that's because she's my mom, right? She's not a, you know, she has time. So, um, let's see, I got a couple actually. One is about the, how to secure images on your website. Mm -hmm. So for instance, let's say you have a site where people can upload images or share images or whatever, but you, you don't want somebody to be able to type in the actual, um, URL of the image, you know, and you don't want someone to be able to type in the actual URL of the image, Mm -hmm. um, and, and get it directly without, if they don't have permissions to view that image. Have you done this in the past? I mean, what's, what's been your approach? Can we, just, can we go back a step and let me ask you why? Why you, why you would want to do that? Well, for instance, okay, so on Epignite, you know, you, 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 know some, you, you want to be able to set up permissioning on particular records, on particular instances. So let's say that um, 
let's say that you set up a site called My Favorite Pictures. <laughs> let's say we have like a picture sharing site, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, one of the fields is, you know, going to be pictures or something. And I might say, I might set up a group or something and say, these people have permission. These people can't see these. These are my private images. I don't want someone to be able to go in and get images that I, that I haven't shared publicly. Okay, there's two ways to do this. Um, so one of them is at a server level and one of them is at a script level. Mm-hmm. So at a script level, the way you do it is you actually only serve the image through your script and um, you only serve it if, if you've got a valid session open. So the, so the user has to log in and you serve the image through the script. That's probably um, in some ways easier and in some ways harder. Let me explain the server level. The, the, the way the server level works is you use the HT password um, that comes with, uh, well, Apache or any other server. That, HT access, you mean? No, not HT access. It's, it's HT password. So basically, you, you, you know, you've, if you've ever gone to a server and it kind of pops up that, that window and it yeah, says... Yeah, okay, so that's, that's not going to work. That's, an, that's, not how, that's not a modern approach, right? Well... I, don't Ooh, know. I mean, I don't anybody know. who has that pop-up on their website, nobody's going to use it. Okay, so let's let's use one that's more realistic. Well, no, no. I mean, that is used all over the place. I mean, that's used... I mean, I'll tell you where that's used a lot is things like porn sites, right? So when, Yeah, Because okay. if you've got, like, absolutely, you know, like 100,000 pictures, you know, and you want to give someone access to the entire site, right, you just basically block off the whole site. You just, just do it once, uh, let the server take care of the whole thing, and then just make the whole thing HTTPS, uh, SSL, and then you've got a pretty secure system. So I wouldn't say it's not modern. I mean, it's, it's used all over the net. I would never use that on a site I would build, but okay. okay. So moving on, next, next approach. Okay, so, so, well, basically it's just that you have to feed the file out through your script. Yeah, so the way that you do that is you read the file. You, so, so you have a script called getImage, mm-hmm. you know, dot .php, let's say if you're using PHP, and you pass it as a parameter, the actual... An, an ID or token of the of the representing, yeah. let's say, an ID of the of the uh, file, yeah, or a file name. <clears throat> Actually, the best would be some kind of an ID that would be in a database, and in that database row, um, there would be a row for that uh, image. There would be the actual file name. Right? You wouldn't quite want to do it like that because um, there's a, a a better way to do it would be to actually allow the image to be called a .gif or a .png or whatever, and have that ID as the actual file name. So. It, on the very last, um, the very last, uh, what, what do you call that path in the query string? Sure. So it could be one, two, three, four dot PNG. And then you just extract that as the ID to get it. And then on a server level, you just make sure that dot PNG for that particular directory, and you do this with the dot HT access, right? You make sure that that particular directory is parsing a dot PNG as a PHP file. So then PHP takes that ID, serves it out, and another important point is that PHP should spit out the um, the, the image, headers. Yeah, the, the MIME type. You do, you do a file, like, so when you read the file, you do a file get contents, yeah. you know, um, for if you're using PHP again. There's and a number you, of different ways you can read it you, in, but yeah. What's that? There's a number of ways you can, re- you can read it in, but... Yeah, but whatever. So you, you read it from a file, and then you echo it out um, after you've sent the headers. First you see headers, like the, whether it's a JPEG or... Or um, PNG I'll, or whatever. I'll tell whatever. you why you wouldn't. You probably shouldn't do get file contents, because um, because then it doesn't really stream the way that you want it to, right? So to 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 make it more robust, if you want to do something really robust that can serve off like fifty megabyte files, then a better way to do it would be to use fread and basically loop it and do a f- a flush um, 
flush the contents of the of the output. Okay, buffer. so if you're not just serving images, which are usually a few megs or down, yeah. but you're serving like some giant PDF file or something yeah, exactly. that people have uploaded, you would recommend so you basically read in, in segments of like a one megabyte blocks and then do a flush. I, I wouldn't even say one megabyte. I mean, I'd make it much smaller. Well, yeah. what would you do it? 124K? Yeah, just, just like, yeah, something like that. Like, you know, 100, 100K I mean, and then flush I mean, it. I mean, 1,000, yeah, 1K, like yeah. You know, 1024, right? So flush right. it on, e- on each section. And um, yeah, and, and if you wanted to be really, really robust about it, um, I wonder if you could keep track of how far you'd, you'd given. But anyway, no, let's not get into that. But yeah, right. that would be the kind of the robust way to do it. Yeah, I think that's a good idea for big files. But I, I think for the image file, I think storing your images in a table, I mean, not, not actually storing the data, but storing the file name and the MIME type um, is, is a, as, a, as a column. Mm-hmm. And then when you read it, you can, you, I mean, this file can be stored as like, you probably would store it as some kind of like um, a, a file name that's like as an MD5 kind of hash, like a ser- ser- uh, alphanumeric sequence. Where right? are you going to store the digital data for the file? <clears throat> well, you'd store it in a directory. I mean, I've, I've, I've done a lot of research in the web, and from what I can tell, it's much less performant. And you run into different problems when you store, it, you store the files in a database as, like, say, binary objects, that it's much better just to store sort of the metadata, the, the, maybe the file name, you know, where it's located on the... On the uh, um, on the file system, the MIME type, maybe the size or whatever information you want. And then, so when someone does a lookup, you look up that information based on some ID and then you read it from the file system and then you, like we said, you serve it, you, you, you send out the headers for the MIME type and then echo it out. Why wouldn't you just store it on Amazon? Well, I mean, you store it wherever you want, but I mean, the, the, the database um, would contain the metadata, you know, right? There'd be a, a table of, of images. I mean, why would you store it on Amazon? I mean, I mean, I mean, if you're if you have a much smaller solution, let's say you're just using it on a shared server account or something, or I guess I guess um, the issue is okay. So th- there's there's limits on the number of files that you can store in a single directory on most Unix systems um, and Windows systems. So if you start if your client ends up having ten thousand images, right? So ten thousand images go into a directory, then the file seek time becomes really slow. Is that right? Yeah, just to get so what's just the, to block out so one file. Really? I, mm-hmm. I, I, that's something I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I don't have my Linux administration skills are limited at best, so I don't know a whole lot about you know. Yeah. So, Linux, so, so then, what you have to do is you have to do a system where you basically split up. Um, it, rather than using one directory, you split it up into lots of smaller directories based on the first characters of the file name. Okay. So, so you so you maybe split it three deep, as it were. Okay. And then that allows you to kind of keep each directory to a small number of files. But then the issue is, well, you know, what happens if you, if, if you need any kind of scale on that and you can only serve them from this one place? Like serving them from the database just gives you so much more flexibility, you know? So you normally have stored them as binary objects. I've done, I've done it both ways. And whenever I've done it through the file system, I've, I've always ended up regretting it. <laughs> <laughs> because because it's, it didn't scale because you ran into scale problems. I I, I ran into scale problems. problems. It's very difficult to manage. Ma- mainly, it's to do with the management aspect. It's difficult to manage large numbers of images on a file system. It's interesting, huh? Um, so if you get it from the database, you still read that binary object. Um, you know, because if you, if you want, let's say let's say that you store, let's say people are uploading um, PDFs 
right? And yeah. some of them can be, you know, 50 or 100 megs or something. And you read that as a binary object out of, uh, you know, it's a column in, in your, um, your, your table of, um, of PDFs, uploaded PDFs, okay? Mm-hmm. How do you read that? What's the um, approach that you read it, you know, like in um, 1K blocks? Well... Yeah. How do you, how I, I do you, actually haven't done that, so I couldn't. I couldn't. I haven't. Haven't been in a scenario where I've had images or files that were like over a meg kind of thing, where I couldn't read them in a single go. But I think the way that you do it is you do it with. Um, oh, what's the name of that? Um, is it's it's S three? You think the Amazon S three? I think it's bindings. You you, you use um, SQL bindings. So rather than bringing that, getting the whole thing in one go, you just get a, you kind of create an SQL binding to it, and then you can do more of the uh f um, stuff uh, so there's is it like part of the mysql php library or something yeah, like that yeah yeah basically yeah hmm. that's interesting i've never done it before so that's why i'm kind of stumbling around mentally trying to figure out how you do that but i'm a bit sketchy about the bindings aspect as well so that would be good if someone could uh, just post up on the comments just explain <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah, i imagine that you could that. I would imagine that there's something equivalent to an F read, like a, a just probably like a read, like a reading a binary data field. I mm-hmm. mean, I would think that you could you could iterate through it, but I haven't. I've never done that, so I'd have, I don't know what uh, the API looks like for that. Maybe it's, I would assume it's there. But the, I think I think it's interesting storing the database. It just seemed like when I was reading on the web, the consensus was don't do it that way because it's just you're going to run into performance problems. But you're saying just store it all in S3, Amazon S3. Well, I. I... I uh, once again I haven't done it that way, but I can't think of a reason not to do it that way. <laughs> I guess I guess one the pain is is that then your clients have to sign up for an Amazon account. Oh, yeah, well, and, unless, that's true. Unless you, that's part of the charge that you do. But then again, that's data off site, and they they you know that it's so important for them to have all of the data on site. It's almost like you need to give them an option. That's the problem. You kind of need to say store these files locally. You know, store these files on disk or store them in the database. I kind of think you need to give them an option for the tool right, that you're building. Right. So, but the other thing I want to ask about that, and then we can move on, is let's say that you're going to store them in a file system. Mm-hmm. What you want to do, I've heard, I've heard some people recommend you want to store it in a folder that's below the your sort of um, your HTML directory so that people can't browse to it. Yeah. But if you put it in a directory that's in your HTML directory, but you just use an HD access file to limit browsing on it, I mean, is that safe enough? Yeah, that's fine. I mean, people can't browse to it that way, right? There's no way for them to get at it if HD access is protecting, isn't it? Is yeah, that true? if you just no, absolutely, yeah. If you just um, probably the probably the handiest thing uh, is to give it like a specific. Are they going to have like a file type, like an ending, like a .png or something like that? Yeah, I'm sure. Are you are you talking how I would do it in Epic Night, for instance? Yeah. Like so I, I mean, if if you just call every file .png, then you basically just say the server's not allowed to serve any PNGs from that directory. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would. I would probably, you know, give it like a um, an alphanumeric sequence, like an MD5 to generate just some random sequence of character, unique, random, like a GUID kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it'd be like .png or .gif or whatever. But I have to take that consideration because if you're if you're right in the fact that you can't stick a bunch of files in one directory, even if you just make it, if it's not like some well, browsable directory, that's that's an interesting limitation. Why don't you do it this way? Why don't you have like wh- whatever happens, whether you store the files in the database or whether you store them on the file system, e- either way, you don't do it in the same table that has the metadata. You have a separate table that stores the binary objects. Why? And because then what you do is you create an abstracted function that is basically get file, that, that basically get, get the um, digital binary contents of the file. And then that abstracted function, you can either point towards getting it from the database 
or you can point towards getting it from the file system. And then you do the same thing for the one that stores the file. Well, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, yeah, I, I could, I mean, I think you're right. You want to make options. You want to make some kind of abstract function. That no, they no, can no I'm not saying for the, I'm not saying for the, for the, for your customers. I'm saying for you, it makes your life easier. Yeah. No, what I'm just saying is I wouldn't do it in a separate table just because you're, you're sticking a join, an unnecessary join in there. And I, I would stick away from unnecessary joins. I, I wouldn't even use a join. Why would you need a well, join? If you, to, if you have to stick it to, or you have to do separate. Two queries, yeah. Two queries. But yeah, why would you want to do that? I mean, you know. I, well, know the reason, I just explained the reason why. Well, because <laughs> you could still abstract it out without, you know, internally. The whole point of abstracting out is it doesn't matter how the internals work, right? But what I'm saying is if you make a function that just gets the, the binary contents of the file, and that's like a separate function, a separate concept, then you're, you've basically abstracted the concept of your file metadata from the contents of your file. So, right. yeah, I mean, you could, do, you could store it in the same table, but what's the point? Because then the other thing is, if you, if you store the binary data in a separate table, that gives you all sorts of options to optimize the table, shard the table, do all sorts of different things that you want with the table. That's right. completely separate to the metadata. See what I'm yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering. I get what you're saying. I'm just wondering if you could accomplish the same thing without doing the join. Like you have the data there, and if you pull, you might be able to, in a sense, essentially achieve the same thing with a symbol, a single query. That if it's if it's abstracted out, you could uh, query the data. You could make a call because you've already pulled the data out of the database and it's there. And if it's not there, it goes to S3 or on a file system or whatever. But yeah, whatever. sure. Anyway, so let's let's move on because I got I got a related topic. Okay, it's called arguing is pointless, and it was there was a there was a um, it was a uh, um, I think it was in the Harvard Business Review, and it was basically talking about how you know essentially arguing is pointless because as soon as people start arguing, they're not you, you think you're trying to change someone's mind, but as soon as you get in an argumentative um, situation, no one's going to change their mind, right? So I missed the last bit. No one's going to change their mind, I'm guessing you said. Yeah, no one's going to change their mind. When, 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 when you get to an argumentative situation, people, people dig their heels in and they don't change their mind. Okay, so, so it's, it's, it's making a distinction between discussion and arguing. Yeah, but I mean, if you have an op, yeah, if, if once you get to a point where you, you have clearly opposing views on something, it's sort of a waste to continue arguing because it's, it's more of just an emotional release because it, it, there is very little chance that you're that you're going to actually just change someone's mind in a direct argument that the best way if you the best situation to get into is get a situation where the other person is more receptive and the way that happens is if you yourself you know don't argue and just listen and then once they see that you're listening to them that you're not just waiting for them to stop talking so that you can then can try and convince them of your point you're not mm-hmm. just trying to think up counterpoints. And uh, I just thought that was kind of interesting, right? So it was, obviously we were arguing over that point, right? Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and, and I think, you know, I, I see that happen all the time, right? Because you get in a situation and you're, you're not allowing yourself, you're not going to convince the other person um, and you're just sort of wasting your time. But if you sit back and, and, uh, and, and kind of demonstrate that you're actually clearly listening to them, that you're not trying to out-argue them, you're not actually just think, come up with counterpoints, they, in return, start dropping their guard and become more receptive to what, you're, what, you, what you may say in the end. If you say, well, it's not my goal to change your mind, I'll just listen to what you have to say. Okay, so in that the situation of what we were just discussing, how would that work? Well, I guess if, let's say that I, you know, if, if, I, if I just said, okay, well, I'm not going to try and convince, you know, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to try and convince you that you shouldn't make two queries, that you shouldn't separate the data. You might as well just stick them in the same table and avoid two queries, right? right. I, mean, I should have not, I should just say, okay, well, I mean, I told you what, you know, one of my concerns. I said, I, well, not, I, I, just, I don't necessarily want to make two queries when I don't have to. Joins are bad news when you hit scalability, when you, you hit any kind of scale, you know? And you were making a point, you said, okay, look, well, you're, you know, you're, when you stick them on the same table, you limit your flexibility in terms of how you can abstract things and, you know, and, you know, a whole other set of issues with that, right? It just limits the scalability and abstractness of it because, or the flexibility of it, right? Um, I guess I could have just said, okay, well, I could have just said it more than once and just said, okay, well, I'll listen to you. And then after you had f- completely finished saying everything you said, I could just say, well, here's my one concern about that. But I don't know. I mean, the goal is, the reality is, is that, it's not that it's not like a technique like pretend like you're listening if you want to convince somebody, right? And then come back after them. The idea is just like just know that you're not that you that what you're whatever you're doing. If your goal is to change their mind, which you can argue, it's not going to happen. So you're just wasting your time. So you might as well just stop. So then there's there's no real point to it. Then it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, because no, I mean, because so are you saying just never get into an argument? Like just that's it. No more arguments. Well, if you want to do it for like sort of entertainment or uh, like people might get in arguments because they are in the mood to argue, right? They need some kind of an emotional release, right? They just want to fight, right? Or they view it as a, like a sort of a joust, like an intellectual joust. Some people like to argue because it makes them fine tune their their points. It makes them think. Make, it, it forces them to to think harder. People think of it as a challenge, maybe. Um, I don't know. I don't really like to argue. Um, in general, so I, I guess I, I tend to, I don't get sucked into it. I, I know, I know there, there are people I know who like to argue. Um, I think there's certain things like, for example, it, I mean, regarding this issue, and um, this is something that an, uh, an ex-boss of mine said to me once before, it's like, there's certain, there's certain things that I've gone through and that I know about, and it, it kind of may have had like 10 steps and I've learned a way of doing stuff and I know that it's the right way. And I can't really remember all of the 10 steps that got me there. I just remember I went through those very 10 painful steps. And now I know this is the best way to do that thing. <laughs> and it's like, when I, te- you know, when I say this is a good way, I- I'm not very clear about why it is, but I just know that there's a lot of pain if you don't do it that way kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, but it's just, it's just interesting how, yeah, I mean, so, so that's, that's a thing though. But of course... If you want to convince people, then you, that obviously that isn't going to go very far. Yeah. You know, because Sandy all the time say to me, she's like, well, you know, X, Y, Z. And I'll go, well, I don't know if that's true. You know, and like I always question. And she's like, well, why do you have to question? It's like, well, I don't accept things at face value. I just don't, you know. And she knows that, right, at this point. It's like someone just says that something is true or something's, I'm like, well, how do you know that's true? Is that really true? I mean, where, what was, what was the, where's the evidence? I mean, what's the argument? What's, you know, what is this based on? Where's our source of information? I mean, obviously I don't get that aggressive with her all the time, but she knows that's my standpoint in general. I almost don't accept things unless if, if it doesn't, if it doesn't jive with my, um, sense of what I already has, it would always been established as true. I'm not just going to accept it. Right. And that sometimes irritates people because they want you to just accept, accept things. You know, they feel like you're, you're, um, I don't know. You're just questioning. You're questioning. I have a question for you. Do you, when you're coding and doing your general tech stuff, do you generally try to abstract as much as possible all the time? No, 
I mean, sometimes I do. It just, it just really depends. I mean, I'm kind of pragmatic. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I'm fairly pragmatic. And a lot of times what I'll do, actually this leads into a whole other topic, but is I'll write what is referred to as the bad version up. Like I'll, like I, I'll, I'll, I'll just throw this up and I'll be like, like, I, like since I'm, co- I'll say, yeah, I'm coding with Guyon, right? And I will think through what I'm doing as I'm doing it. Like it's my, like the screen is my scratch pad. I don't draw diagrams of stuff. I don't write descriptions or memos of things. I don't use index cards. I just think in the editor, right? So I'll kind of start coding something and I'll be like, guy, just ignore, just ignore what I'm doing. I'm just thinking, right? I'm just writing some really, I'm like, all right, so this is a really crappy version. I'll hard code some numbers. I'll just do, I'll put in some stub stuff. It's just really ugly. And, and just like, anyone look at it, I'll go, God, you know, that's really not how you want to do it, but at least create some scaffolding to the thought process. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not abstract. It's not, it's not even good code, much less abstracted. And, and then I'll come back and maybe clean it up and, and then get to abstracting it later. But um, I don't, because I, I've, I've fallen into the trap a number of times in my career where I, I, I get so consumed with creating a, perfect architecture and abstracting things that you become, I think what Joe Spolsky were termed as an, as an, uh, an architect astronaut, right? You don't actually get anything real because you spend so much time abstracting, but it's sort of a premature optimization, right? You, you're not really getting anything working. You're, you're so, you waste eight hours, if not days abstracting stuff where we're best to just get something simple working and then come back and, and rework it if it showed promise. Well, do you have any kind of underlying rule where you go, okay, it, for this scenario, I'm always going to abstract. I'm always going to basically create, I, I'm always going to decouple what's going on here because I know that it's ultimately going to help me out in the future. And it's hard for me to say that. I don't, things like always and never are hard for me to say because so things are so, so often just context dependent. I mean, is, if it's a throwaway project, is it a, is it a thing I'm just experimenting with or is it something that's big and what part of it and is it what phase of sort of the development is it is it sort of like a rec- am i doing recon am i just sort of experimenting to see if i can get something to work or is it something that's been through a couple iterations and it's like ready to like f- ready for me to think a little more general in more general terms about it i i basically have a like a, a hard-coded rule which is if if a thing involves input and output whatever that is like um now, I'm not necessarily talking about function input and output, like passing parameters to a function, but I mean proper input and output. So if, say, for example, connecting with an API, uh, talking to the file system, talking to the database, any kind of substantial input and output, I will always, you know, 100% of the time, make sure that that goes through an single abstracted place because I know that from that point forward, it's always it can only ever help me. It will never hurt me. Yeah, I mean, it sounds reasonable. It sounds, but I don't tend to, uh, I don't follow a lot of rules because I, in, you know, because you get to these sort of like, you can get, people can get very religious about things like that. Like you always do this and you never do that. But I find that those things bind me sometimes and they lead me down the wrong path because the best thing to do is, the only thing is you always want to do is use your brain. What makes the most sense given the amount of time we have available and what we're trying to achieve. Because sometimes like I'll be working with Guyon and Guyon tends to err much more on the side of the engineer where I'm thinking as sort of like the person responsible for the product, right? We have to have this done in two days, which means we got four, three and a half, three to four hours available to us. So I hear what you're saying, Guyon. He'll say, well, we should do X, Y, Z. I'm like, we don't have 10 hours. We got three. 
So, but I mean, oh, right? I'm, I'm just thinking for your system for Epic Night. Okay. G- given what you've got, like a hard a hard coded rule like that wouldn't cost you any time, and it would just serve to help you out down the road because you know th- your entire system is about that that kind of input and output. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, okay, because so. What you're describing is still very abstract. So it's sort of a hardcore rule that whenever there's an endpoint or output, you generalize it. I'm still not entirely sure what you mean. You'd have to give me some very specific examples, and I'd have to figure out how it applies and what it buys me. But let's, I, don't, I don't think that's super important to get into, but if you want to. But I'll just to say this is that... Oh, I'd like to, yeah. Okay, but I just don't, I don't like um, m- you know, a lot of methodologies. I don't like being... You know, you can't do this. You should always do that. There's very few things that I do other than I just try and write clean code. I try and do a good job naming variables and I try and keep, you know, the, uh, you know, my functions in, 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 in classes simple, right? Break things up into smaller pieces as, a, as things I try to do, right? But there are occasions where you have longer functions or you have things that aren't named very, but it's just temporary. And one thing I just want to say before we get into it and you get into the whole um, input output thing yeah, is... There was an article called it was it was I can't remember what they, were ta- they were talking about writing like one way to get past writing oh it was the guy who does Dilbert yeah. Scott Adams and he wrote something called the it was about the something I think he called it the bad version so I guess when they were he was writing for TV and they say you know when you get stuck on making progress on a story they'd say okay well let's just write the bad version let's write a version that's so stupid nobody would ever we would never use it. But just the fact of writing the bad version, of throwing some scaffolding it up there, it makes us think of a better version, and it also allows us to kind of see the see the landscape a little better. Right. And I think, and I was thinking, you know, that's kind of how I write code. Sometimes I'm like, all right, you know, this is the bad version, right? Like, let me let's just write this because I can't. It's like it's like I need to get to higher ground so I can see around, so I can have a little bit of um, visibility because I don't have any visibility. I don't understand what we're doing well enough. I'm just, I'm just. I'm just a little, I, I can't see the forest for the trees kind of thing. So let me just write the bad version. It'll get me to higher ground and I can see around and then we can come back and see how we're really supposed to do this. Anyway, so that's all I wanted to say about that. So go on about the input output abstraction. <laughs> go on about it. Um, okay, so, well, it's just, it's like, I mean, I can give you, I can give you examples from Plugio and the reason why and how they help. So basically it's, it's essentially any kind of input output touch point. I, I Rather than using the, the provided library or the provided system, I'll always create an interface in between. So, for example, sending an email. Like, I won't yeah. just use the PHP one. I'll just, I will create a, an interface and I'll, I'll just call that, you know, my email or whatever. And then I'll, I'll, the guts of that I can change. So it's easy to send an email using PHP email or it's easy to swap it out to use send mail or whatever. And then the same thing for, da- for a database, right? Because once again, that's input and output to an entity, right? So use a database wrapper, create an interface, and rather than use the native database functions, go through my wrapper, and then I can kind of tweak big things. Same thing okay. for connecting to Twitter, right? So, you know, Twitter, um, well, not Twitter, but some someone has written a great Twitter library that enables you to connect to Twitter. But uh, Plugio connects to Twitter a lot. So rather than use their library natively, I create an interface, and then that, that enables me to do sweeping changes. So say, for example, one, one thing that I wanted to do was to like track all of, the, all of the traffic going to Twitter. So since I'd done it through an interface, it was really easy for me to just track it. You know, because I, I, it's very difficult for me to hack their, their system. But when it's my own functions, it's really easy to hack it. Um, right. Anything going to ping FM once again? 
rather than use the, the native library that they supply, create an interface and then uh, bit.ly or the file system. So that's what I mean by input and output. I mean kind of talking to third-party systems. That's that's what I'm saying. So it's like input and output to third-party systems. Right. Um, well, that makes sense. I mean, I, I would say that, that that makes a fair amount of sense. Um, but I mean, I, I wouldn't. I'm kind of literally saying like you you should probably do that like it will really help you. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> going to change. Night. I'm not going to change probably how I'm coding. So I, I don't think there's probably a little chance that I will start doing that. I mean, here's here's my approach, right? So that's a technique that works for you. My technique is I'm a perfectionist, so I can I I fall victim to um, I can easily fall victim to over engineering and just spending too much time making classes and functions beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. And what I've learned to fight against that is to be very pragmatic and just to get something working, get the simplest possible thing that'll work. And then I go back and I refactor and I clean it up, you know? So the first version may not always <clears throat> separate, you know, um, a presentation from business logic, right? But then I go back and I'll abstract it and I'll clean it up. Like I can get the first version. You have business logic embedded in, the, in, in your presentation logic. And I don't just mean for web stuff. I mean, I'm talking for anything, Right. But then I pull it out. I come out and I do a second or third pass and I refactor and I make things abstract. And because I found that for me, a lot of times I've got in there and if I start trying to abstract things too early, I just end up wasting a lot of time because it turns out I didn't need that code anyway. The whole approach was wrong. The whole direction was wrong. So I just want to get, I almost kind of want to prototype things and put up sort of temporary scaffolding so I can see the lay of the land. Does that make sense? It does make sense, but uh, so it's just it's just different approaches, right? I mean, so I yeah, I will, will, just in terms of the arguing, the chances that you can restate it a few times, but I won't do it. So it's probably not, you know, your approach makes sense for you, and you feel comfortable doing it, and you're productive doing it. Um, but I probably wouldn't say, okay, for now on, every time input output, I'm writing abstraction. I'll just write the simplest thing that'll connect to it, and then I'll come back and refactor as I need if if and if I need to. Weird, only only because. To do it, it it doesn't really take very much time. I mean, it's like probably ten minutes work, but yeah, it, but yet, so for for ten minutes work, then somewhere yeah, down see, the line, you you, you would have in, to, embedded no, the, that whole kind of nat- you know you'd have embedded the native interface into all of your code in all these different places rather than to do ten minutes work up front no, that stops no. that you know, that saves you from that. So it's kind yeah, of yeah, no, because see, the way I see it is that. You know, things don't take 10 minutes. You know, it, nothing takes 10 minutes. It takes 10 minutes to sit down and find my place, my cursor in the text file. You know, it's like, you know, it, things take hours. And it's like, well, I can spend hours thinking, well, what's the generic interface to the input outputs? Now I have to understand what are all my possible input output parameters. So now I got to figure out, okay, well, these are different, these scenarios. I could potentially have these four potential outputs. And then I just get, I can get easily get lost in this sort of abstraction universe and abstracting something that may not even need it. I may not even need the functionality anyway. It may have been totally irrelevant, and I spent all this time abstracting it. But if I built just a simplest thing to the one, you know, endpoint or one input-output system that I needed, get something basically working, and decide if I even care about it, if it's even necessary. And then if it is, like, oh well, now that I'm connecting to a file system, but it actually keeps a database. So let me just see how what how the what are the parameters going to be different. And let me come up with abstraction at that point. Uh, it just I feel, I, it reminds me of um, some of the discussions that we had earlier about um, you know source control or that kind of stuff. I I can see I can see how I can see how you can do it. 
I don't, I, yeah. don't, I don't know what else to say about it. Let's move on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm just <laughs> okay. saying that. But it's like, it's just different approaches, right? You're I mean, right. there's a lot of things that you and I are going to do differently that you found work for you based on your personality and your strengths and weaknesses, right? Well, and no, I, I did it your I, I way made, when I started. I mean, what? I did it your way when I started. Well, see, what you're I was implying is this. that my way is the wrong way, but it's not the wrong way. It's my way because it works for me, right? Okay. You're implying that your way is more elevated, sophisticated. Well, it's not learned, my way. It's not. it's not my way. I've, it's what I've yeah. been taught by other yeah, but coaches. You're st- that's what you're implying, right? You're implying that mine's a less sophisticated way. I'm finding my way is a more productive way. And it's right. a more, I, I, I put off making decisions and assumptions about how things work until I really know that I need them and that I even understand what the different various options are, yeah. right? <clears throat> because, and, um, and I'm just saying that, you know, we have, this is different approaches, right? And that's why I don't like a lot of methodologies and things that we say, well, this is the way you do it. And this is the way you have to do it. And this is, it's like, nah, bullshit. You know, it's like, there are a lot of different ways to work and there's no best way. It's like whatever ways you can get yourself to be very productive and write good quality code that, about yeah. things that ultimately matter. At the, I mean, at the end of the day, if you can put out an app that, that works and that works for people and works for you, then it doesn't really matter what way you did it. Exactly. Yeah, that's my point. And, you know, and then of course it depends if you're working with other people and I don't know, there's just so many factors. So that's why I'm, I'm hesitant to say, you know, I tell you how I'm doing it. I'm not suggesting anybody do it the way I'm doing it because my context and my strengths and weaknesses and my personality are, are different, you know, mm-hmm. than, than other people. And, uh, you know, like I have my own weaknesses that I'm trying to uh, make up for, right? And other people can have their own other weaknesses. Some people may have great memories, but they're not very good at algorithms. Some people may be great at algorithms or this. Some people may be, they're perfectionists, so they got to avoid falling into perfectionists. Some people notice that they're kind of sloppy, so they have to come up with some way to keep their sloppiness from affecting their code. Some people you know, are impatient. When, when we have a discussion like this, the only reason why I'll ever bring anything like this up, it's because at some point in my life, I've made the change and, I, and then I've discovered, oh my God, that is awesome to do that, right? So, you know, for example, about, about Git or, you know, source control or whatever. And so the only reason why I'll ever kind of try and argue for it is because I've gone through that aha moment and I'm, and I'm like, you know, this is, this is great. This really helps. So that's the only reason why I ever bring it up. It's not because I want to make you do something, you know, just because it's my way. Or yeah, because that like would that. probably waste your time because how many times have you convinced me to change how I'm doing things? You've, you've, you've definitely started using source control. I only did that. Um, I only use subversion not from any argument they made, only because Guyon had been asking me for like a year and a half and I finally did it. So finally, so I could, so okay, I could and, and hear about it. Have you not seen any advantage to using source control? As I mentioned the other day, zero. It's, total, it's totally irrelevant. Oh, to really? It's, so, it's, actually, it's actually wasted a lot of time because Subversion keeps getting confused and we keep getting directories added. And because, I don't know if it's, a, it's because of our, our Subversion client and it's just, it's been a huge waste well, it's of time. because you use Cornerstone rather than versions, like I said. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe that's <laughs> it, but, you know, our repositories have gotten totally misconfigured somehow because of things are supposed to be excluded or have been deleted, but Subversion doesn't know about it. And I'm just like, damn it, you know, if, we, if I just copy the directory into a backup directory on Dropbox, you know, once no, a day, but, but or once, it wasn't it done. also because you and Guyon could share the same same work easily. No, it doesn't matter because he doesn't work on Epic Night when he's not working with me ever in the year and a half. It doesn't happen. He doesn't have time for it, right? So he only works with me. So it doesn't, we don't need to do that. It's total theoretical thing. Like, well, if someday, well, if someday, then we can move it to something, but we're not. So instead we've wasted probably on the order since we've done it, I probably wasted 
in you know 10 or 20 hours of lost time just dorking around with subversion <laughs> so that just reaffirms your idea never basically never do it someone else's way you you it was a mistake to go to to source control that was yeah, basically I mean, for a mistake. me i mean i'm not yeah. saying other people i mean i'm not saying other people shouldn't do it. if you're working with other people if you're yeah. working with other people and those other people are not going to work with you at the same time work on the same co-post you have to use some kind of version control get subversion whatever um for me, I only work with Guyon when he's working with me. It's always on my computer. Um, we always have a copy of the latest stuff on our server, which we upload. Um, and I always can, and I copy a backup to a Dropbox account. We just cut, paste, put a date on it. Done. Just like I'm doing submit to conversion. And it's done. Doesn't okay. problem. And, you know, it just doesn't work for me. So I'm just like, this has been a total, I told him the other day, I'm like, you know what, Guyon, this has just been a total waste of time. That's, that's that, right? interesting. That's and the other thing is, it was a waste of time too. I noticed it was like, you know how we set up, <clears throat> I was, I had a development version of my site on a, a web server, right? So I would edit my files locally whenever I wanted to check them out. I would just, you know, ca- I would just use FTP, push them up. Oh, and you set up the local refresh. machine. That hasn't saved you any time either. No, it's wasted my time because um, <laughs> the, the server is differently configured than my Mac, right? Like for instance, I'll give you two examples. I mean, one of the things that I'm doing is, is using like the zip functionality. Well, the zip is not, does not come in enabled on MAMP, which is what we, remember you helped me install MAMP. Remember we were trying to install PHP and MySQL and Apache separately? Yeah. And then, and then we just, it just, after two or three hours of screwing around with it, we're just like, screw it, let's use MAMP. Well, MAMP doesn't come configured with uh, zip enabled, whereas my Linux VPS has it enabled. So I cannot use the zip archive um, functionality, the PHP API for zipping and unzipping files. So, um, and, but I, I can use it on the VPS. I can't use it on my system. So we had to dork around with using exec calls to the file system um, and not using it. And then the idea was like, well, just enable it PHP. Well, then I went and I did research and I'm like, you know, I have to get the source to um, PHP and do all this, you know, Linux, you know, stuff to recompiling the source. No, you don't. You just enable an extension. No, it doesn't work. I mean, based on my research, you have to do enable zip. You have to you have to recompile it with enable zip. It's not just using the zip um, module. Okay, you could you, you could just plug in the zip module and just. But anyway, <laughs> I, I tried. I mean, I, based on my research, and, you should you know, have called me because you, whenever whenever I help you out with that stuff, we get it done. Well, we'll try it. But I'm just saying. So there was that, and there was a, there's two other things that were configured differently, and I'm just like we wasted hours and hours and hours trying to reconcile the differences in our code to handle working on my Mac versus working on. And the so there's been, no, there's been no, it, it hasn't been any faster working with the files locally and then just refreshing the browser that hasn't It, it doesn't because I just drag drop and it's like a three seconds and then I refresh. And, but all this other stuff has just been a headache. It just doesn't, it just doesn't add anything. So I'm just saying that all these things that people say, well, this is the best practice. You want to do that? It's like, well, what is you know the theoretical what? best practice? Listening to you talk about this, it's like, it's like trying to think about someone clapping if they've only got one hand. It's like it's like a practice in Zen meditation. It's so confusing to my brain that I, I can't even I can't even think of the words to say. <laughs> it's so it's almost like frustrating and confusing well, and just yeah, difficult well, to hear uh, you talk well, about this. Well, no, it's just, it's just here's the thing, right? It's like you, it you, confuses you, me. How does it confuse you? I mean, what what what, what about what I said? Because it's, it seems paradoxical. Just the the idea of of you installing a local version and finding it a complete waste of time. It's just well like, because it's you've like accepted these. You've it's accepted like infinity. These, well, because <laughs> you've confused. accepted these things as, as universally true for everyone, and they're just not. It's not true for my situation. In yeah. my context, maybe it's true for nine 
nine people out of 10. So you would espouse it as a general rule everyone should follow. But in my case, it has not been beneficial. It's just like you say, okay, well, and we've used this example before. It's like body mass index. If you want to know if someone's fat or skinny, you know, how overweight they are, you right. measure their body mass index. Well, if you look at anyone who's like a weightlifter or athlete, they would have a high body mass index, but they have low body fat. They are not remotely overweight. No, but I, statistically I speaking, BMI makes sense, but you have to look at specific situations. I understand that it doesn't work in your situation. It's just the fact that it doesn't work that seems paradoxical and strange to me. And that's why it's difficult for me to listen to you talk about it. Cause I'm just like, what, like, how, what, like, how do you work <laughs> to make it not work for you it's just very strange well I've but just explained I mean, like, I mean I, but i just explained how the i mean you, i've just explained how still doesn't it make sense you screwed up you you've never you've never had subversion get screwed up on directories and, and it thinks it has deleted directories and they won't let you upload anything because i definitely have deleted until i moved to versions right okay so if i just so what you're saying is unless i use exactly the right kind of uh, subversion clan i may have problems i guess what i'm saying is unless you do do exactly what i say yeah, <laughs> while you're while you're veering off doing all your own stuff, then it's never going to work, I guess. So you have to compile MAMP with exactly the right thing. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. I'm just saying that you you got to be careful to overgeneralize what works for you specifically. What works for you as a coder? What works for you in version control? What works oh, for you? Definitely. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I, like, yeah, I know. You know, and I think you you have a I think at least with me you have a habit of wanting to overgeneralize and assuming that I have to do things the way you do, and that if I do things just the way you do, it'll work for you, but it doesn't. I guess we probably shouldn't go on about this anymore because it's probably getting boring to the listeners at this stage. But right. uh, no, I'm just saying it's just it's just weird. That's all. Right. Okay. So let's this this, <laughs> this change. Let's go move on. Um, well, we, it, I think we we're getting we've we've done we've done the time for the show. I got one. I got one more. Okay. Go on. One more. Let's try, try and end it on a good note. Okay. How to beat procrastination? It was interesting. Was by uh, in uh, the blog Less Wrong, which mm-hmm. you mentioned a couple times. And they, it came up based on like, uh, co- you know, basically cognitive, so research in like cognitive science and different types of um, things like that. This guy's referenced all those. And it basically comes down to the simple equation. Okay. Motivation equals expectancy times value. And that is divided by impulsiveness times delay. So if you, and so what they say by expectancy is like how you're, the more that you think, the more certain you are that you can accomplish whatever it is you're trying to do, the more likely are you, you are to do it, right? If you think there's a low, a low outcome that you're going to succeed, you're going to be less motivated, okay? And that's times value. Like, what's the value of, the, of accomplishing this goal, mm-hmm. right? So the more value you get out of it, the more chance that you're going to want to do it. If there's like little return on it, you're not going to do it. So the best chance is something you think, there's a good chance I'm going to succeed at this and there's a high value. That's... You know, I mean, if it's like, ah, you know, the reverse, obviously less. And then that whole, those two terms, um, uh, those two factors, expectancy and value are divided by impulsiveness times delay. So if the delay is a year out versus a week out, the, 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 you're going to be much less motivated to do something that's going to be delayed. You're not going to, you know, it's, it's, it's not really, you're not going to see a, a return on it for at least a year. Right. So that's why sometimes I, I think it's important. It helps a lot if you can come up with short-term goals. You can break larger goals into small, t- shorter goals. Right. Impulsiveness. Like how impulsive are you? And that's something that's sort of, you know, every, each of us have our own level of impulsiveness. Like how, are, how, distracted, how distracted are you? Like how impulsive are you into just like doing other things? So the trick is, of course, to um, try, and, try and increase the chance that you're going to do it 
uh, or try to increase the the certainty that you can accomplish it times value and sort of decrease the delay. And I think one that we said it is he, he here's one way that I guess the, um, he says um, decrease the certainty to decrease the certainty or the size of a task's reward, its expectancy or its value, and you are unlikely to pursue its completion with any vigor. Increase the delay for the task's reward and our susceptibility to delay, impulsiveness, and motivation also dips. So um, one of the, uh, and they, they have a kind of list of like, you know, different techniques. So it's like for, an interesting way to hack um, your productivity, just tweak these values. Right. So knowing that you're moting that, mo, no, no, knowing that that's how your motivation works, you can come up with different hacks. Right. That's cool. Can you, can you put a link to that on the, on the show notes? Sure. Sure. I, will. I mean, in, in a couple of the techniques, one was called success spirals. And it's a, he says, you know, basically one way to, to, to increase your motivation is to come up with lots of little steps of success. And, um, if you, um, if you do that, then you kind of get this sort of like, the more you succeed, right, the more, the, the, the more that you are confident that you're going to succeed in the next one, right? Well, that's what you always say about goal setting. Like, don't, you know, if you're losing weight, don't kind of say, uh, don't set your first goal at losing like, 30 pounds, 100 like, pounds or something. Set it at just losing five pounds. Lose a pound. Just try and use a pound in a week. Just try and do that. And if you get that thing, like, all right, you start getting control over it and you start feeling more confident, right? And also shorter term rewards. So if you like say, let's use the weight loss because that's a, it's an easy one to describe. So if you do, if you do a weigh-in every week, then you have a goal that's short term so that you just, if it was like, well, I'm going to weigh in in three months, it's easier to put it off. Like, well, I'll start working out, you know, next month. So, and you, you know, you think I'll have to do, I'll lose a, a, a pound, right? How hard can that be? Right. So that, that's, that's something the expectancy should be high. And while the value may not be as high it, it, it builds the, 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 the confidence that comes as a result of that will help you the following week of losing another pound. And then another pound. And after you've done it three or four weeks, you're like, oh, man, I can do this, right? I figured it out. And, um, but then you could get, like, like, how do you stop yourself from being lazy? How do you keep on track? Well, well, those are just one thing. So, you know, the, just the fact that it's, it's kind of an example. I mean, there's, you know, it's just like what I said, which is that you, you have to try and keep the short-term goals you have, you know, you don't want to delay, you don't want the delay to be too high and you want to try and, I guess you just have to most, as much as you can come up with some kind of series of short-term goals that are easy to achieve, that are not, that are within your ability to achieve. Okay. Right. And, you know, the other thing, one thing, one thing I talk about, so that's called success spirals and it's kind of like how you talk about your coding, right? Like you compile after every line of code. Yeah. And test after a line of code, that's a success spiral, right? You build a line of code, it works, right? And you get more motivated. I do another one. But if you wrote code for a day and a half and then you try to compile it and there was like 100 errors, you'd just be depressed. You're like, oh man, I don't know, right? Yeah. It'd be just like, I don't know if I can figure this out. But if you just do one line at a time, success, got it, boom, success, got it, next, 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 right? It's high expectancy, quick delay. So you've, you've come up with like a, a quick feedback that's a, a positive feedback loop for yourself. Interesting. So, Another one, so why okay. wouldn't you weigh yourself every day versus every once a week? Um, the reason I would say, I, 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 I kind of do, I, keep my, I do weigh myself every day, but just first thing in the morning, just out of habit. But I think the only problem with weighing yourself every day is there's a certain amount of randomness, like your body weight fluctuates just on your water weight and things like that, right, right. that you can get kind of depressed, like, oh, I put on a weight or two. It's like, no, you're, you're, you're losing the signal and the noise. And so you might start believing that you're gaining weight, even though you've lost weight, just because your water weight's fluctuated. I see. 
you know, so you don't want to, and you don't want to get confused by the wrong information. So I think a week is a little better. And then you really just want to look at a moving average over a few weeks. Um, so a couple more techniques that I thought were interesting was vicarious victory. Okay. And when he says pessimism and optimism are both contagious. So, you know, essentially what you want to do is, and which I think we've talked about is like, you don't want to be around people who are negative and pessimistic all the time. It just, it just, it is contagious. It just sucks you down. You want to be people who are motivated and believe that they're going to succeed and they believe you can succeed, that that's important. So vicarious victory. I don't know. What is your, what has been your experience with that? So basically through hanging out with people who are successful. Well, you know what I think about that? I've got a song about it called Hang Out With Excellence. Mm-hmm. I wrote yeah. a song about it. So I think, it's, I think it's very good. Very good. Well, I think we've noticed that on this show, right? We've interviewed, a, we, all the people that we interview have been successful right, yeah. in what they're doing. And so that's just more motivation. Like, oh, you know, I mean, it's just contagious. They're like, oh, I did it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, 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 well, they, it's, I think it also helps with the existence proof. I think that makes a big difference. You know? it's, yeah, it's kind of similar, right? So, so when you see someone do something and you know they're just a normal person, you're like, hey, I can do that too. If right. they can do it, I can do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is, is called a mental contrasting. And this is like a, a lot of self-help books sort of encourages what they call creative visualization, the practice of regularly and vividly imagining you know, what you want to achieve. Mm-hmm. But it says, uh, surprisingly, research shows this method can actually drain your motivation unless you contrast it with mental, uh, I, I say, unless you add it at a second crucial step called mental contrasting. So after imagining what you want to achieve, mentally contrast that with where you are now. So visualize your, like the example is a visualize your old rusty car and your small paycheck. This presents your current situation as an absolute obstacle that will be overcome to achieve your dreams and jumpstarts your planning and effort. Interesting. So you visualize where you want to go and you contrast it with where you are now. So you're like, or, or you know, it's like, I think, I think oh, there's one article I'd read. I think Pete Michaud actually wrote it talking about like, if you want to get your office cleaned up, picture your office really clean. Right. And then come back and look at where, how, then take a look at how messy it is now. And you're like, all right, I can't live with it. Like this. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, and the other, the last thing is the last technique or sort of suggestion was guard against too much optimism. And this is, you know, too much optimism can be a problem. Um, it's not as common, but what happens is, is that if in like the, the book, the secret is kind of an example of that. It's like, you just kind of believe that something great is going to happen and then think great things happen kind of thing that you become too optimistic. And when they don't, obviously it can be very depressing. Um, it can, it can, you know, work against you. So, um, it's like the whole concept of plan for the worst, but hope for the best, you know, pay attention to how you procrastinate. Make yeah, a backup I was plan just, for I mean, as you were saying the, the previous point, I was thinking the secret is a bit woolly and, and it, it only has half of that equation you know, where they just, you just kind of visualize what you want, but you don't visualize your current situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's in this, the first research course is, you know, goes against that, mm-hmm. that you really want to just, um, you do both. And, uh, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of reminds me of like, they talk about the stick and the carrot. <laughs> it's for yourself. Like you don't, if, you know, like negative, um, negative reinforcement is it works against you. So if you're, if you're constantly getting reprimanded for doing the wrong thing, but you're not being rewarded for doing the right thing, that's a problem. But if you only get rewarded for doing the right thing, and you're never reprimanded for doing the wrong thing. I mean, I don't know what the research says about this. I think that can probably work against you as well. So you, you probably want to err on the side of, of positive reinforcement, more, more carrot than stick, but just knowing that the stick is there, that there's a little stick, <laughs> you know, it's like, you may get like, Oh, I don't need the, I don't need the carrot anymore, but just knowing that you're going to get hit in the ass with that stick. If you don't get something done 
it, that, that does, I think, help the equation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, I think that's it, man. That, that has been a roller coaster of a show. It's had its highs, it's had its lows. There's been, <laughs> <laughs> there's been uh, wonderment, there's been drama, very tense, tense situations as well. Right. So um, what do you think? I think that's a wrap. I think we've, we've, we've given enough that even if, even if Saturday doesn't happen, this show is, is enough. I think it is. So you're going to go have a good time in New Orleans? Yeah. And you're going to come back refreshed and re-energized? And in a good mood and, and hopefully less argumentative. <laughs> uh, we can only hope, right? Yeah. You, you could argue and disagree with everything I say. I'll try. Actually, I'm not trying to convince you of anything, I don't think. I don't care. You, th- you think what you want. Who, wasn't it the depressed designer who said that they, they prefer the interview shows because um, there's more tension? I guess this is the most we've disagreed in a while. We've had yeah. two disagreements, right? Yeah. We normally don't disagree as much. Ta- Taylor said what he loves about the interview shows is, no, the discussion shows is the tension. <laughs> I know, yeah. I'm sure there's some people who don't, who don't like it at all. But, uh, you know, it's like, it mix it up, man. You know, it's, well, of course, we never know which way it's going to go, right? No. We never know. It's always a surprise. All right. That's a wrap. We're out.